The Sex Ed with Tim podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. We acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaty, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. You're listening to Sex Ed with Tim. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. I'm your host, Tim, certified sex educator. I identify as, oh God, I don't even know what I am now. Uh, To those of you who don't know, I'm gay, I'm Asian, otherwise known as the diversity hire from HR. Uh, (laughs) Today on the show, we are just so proud to represent diverse communities and who better to speak about diversity than a white man, um, I think. <laughs> Is that how you a identify? A cis white man, no less. A cis white man, of all things. <laughs> and he's not gay, but the other one, I can never say it properly. Stray? Sure, I'm straight. I mean, we're, I think we're all on the spectrum, but I, I definitely lean on the straight side. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, he's the host of uh, Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. Please welcome to the show, Shane Rogers. How are you, Shane? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is very cool. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Shane. And the, like I said before I hit record, I just wanted to talk about experiences. And I guess comedians really have like the best views when it comes to really any sort of life experience and uh sex dating drugs rock and roll whatever <laughs> so uh have before we get into that how about you tell the audience a little bit about what it is that you've been up to well yeah first off i don't know if i agree with the premise there i think we <laughs> comedians have the most <laughs> unique maybe perspective on that i don't know about the fair best enough. we are some fair enough. we are some messed up individuals <laughs> are uh, we but <laughs> that's true i guess i kind of across the board everyone is but um, what I've been up to, I have been, well, you know, COVIDing for a long time. Um, I was, <laughs> before COVID, I was doing a lot of, of comedy, um, traveling around, doing, doing shows. Um, and since COVID, I've actually been kind of taking a step back. I did a show at the Punchline pretty recently just to kind of get my feet under me and have some fun. Did a lot of older material just so that I knew it would work and then tried some new stuff. And now I'm, I'm busy writing. I'm doing a lot of writing um, and doing little, you know, open mics around the area just to kind of build a setback so that I can go back and do some work on the road. Um, oh, so it's so kind cool. of a rebuilding period for me right now. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's been fun. Um, it's been definitely an interesting time, I think for everyone in the comedy industry, it's things are changing and, um, yeah, it's, it's a learning experience right now. But uh, mostly I've been doing the podcast, Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. That has been my creative outlet, me and a good friend of mine. Um, and that's been really growing. We've, uh, we've had a lot of success with that. So, so now I'm starting to get back out on the road, but I don't want to neglect the podcast too. For sure. What's your podcast about? 
So Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, it is about facts, basically. Uh, we, my good friend Duncan, when we were younger, we went to college together, we went to high school a little bit, and then and then college, and we were in bands together. And we've always had this dynamic where he's very, uh, he's very expressive, he's very gregarious, he's an outgoing guy, he's very silly, and I'm more, I was always a little more reserved and a little bit more academic. And, you know, I was like, I got a scholarship to college and, and all this stuff. And so, oh, a um, nerd. yeah, I was, I don't know if I would say I was a nerd. I would definitely say I was focused on, I was driven. I was very driven academically mm. and he was less. And, um, <laughs> so I would always kind of lecture him about stuff and he thought it would be fun to sort of turn that into a podcast. And so we have a podcast where luckily we're really lucky to have a big fan base, especially on discord got a few hundred people in our discord all the time. They're always talking about the episodes and they would, they'll set up a poll and they will choose a topic every week. So, you know, we've done everything from Scientology to, you know, various, various other cults and QAnon and, and then everything from, you know, time travel or, um, things that are currently in the news, uh, different wars and things. We, we just talk about whatever they come up with and whatever the topic is and I'll research it for a week. And then I basically present it to Duncan, which is kind of like how our life has gone is always, me researching things and then lecturing Duncan about them, uh, hopefully in a kind of comedic and entertaining way. And we have a really good chemistry. We've known each other for so long and it's kind of blown up. It's, it's been really fun to see it grow. And I do like enjoy your episodes, the ones I've listened to and you, you guys are quite entertaining and uh, sorry, that sounded very like sarcastic. You're quite entertaining. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. <laughs> Uh, when did you get into the swing of things when it comes to comedy? Like, when did you find out you were funny? You know, in college, I, I think we all have that like group of friends that you'll sort of sit around with and, and make jokes and, and mess around. And my friends would always say, you know, you should do comedy. I think a lot of people hear that. And I had a comedic, uh, newspaper article, newspaper column every week. And I went to UC Davis and they had the Aggie and I, I had a column in the Aggie and it was comedically oriented. So I was writing a lot of comedic stuff. I was writing funny stuff every week. And I got into the habit of kind of having to write humorous stories every week. And so when I graduated from college, I still had all of these extra columns that I hadn't written. And there was a lot of stuff in there that, you know, I just started publishing online on this website. And there was this girl who contacted me and she was like, hey, you're really funny. I work at a comedy club. You should have you ever thought of doing stand up? And I, at the time, I wasn't really into it. And then she ended up becoming the general manager of the Laugh Factory when they opened the Laugh Factory in Chicago. And she called, she messaged me again and she said, hey, I now run a club. If you ever are in Chicago, come by and I'll put you on stage. And, you know, not obviously on like a, you know, 8 p.m. on a Friday or something. But she was like, I'll give you a few minutes and see how it goes. So I went I ended up in Chicago and I did a I did a set there. And it went great, which was kind of funny because very few people, their first set, usually you bomb. Bombs, and I did really right? well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I did really well, but then promptly bombed for like the next few months. But I thought, you know, from that first set, I thought I was like ready to go. And uh, but that was great. That was kind of where it started. And then just went back to square one, starting from the Laugh Factory and then went back to like doing, uh, you know, open mics. And uh, had to build a set and learn how to do comedy. And then it all sort of snowballed from there. <laughs> how do you like recover from all that bombing? Because after one bomb, I feel like, fuck, I'm just not meant for this. Screw it. I give up. 
stick to my. I brain. had those moments. I'm telling you, I had those moments. I mean, I remember calling my girlfriend at the time, driving home from comedy clubs or little or little bars in the middle of nowhere, and having been ignored for 10 minutes on stage or, you know, having something thrown at you or like, I mean, there's, there are a lot of these little open mic comedy venues are places where people don't expect and don't want comedy. And so, you know, you go up at a Mexican restaurant, I remember, and people are just trying to eat their burritos. They don't give a damn about what you have to say. <laughs> and it's really demoralizing. But what it does is it, it gives you a thick skin. I think if I, if I had bombed my first set at the laugh factory, I would not have kept going. But getting that taste of what it felt like to be on a big stage and having people really into it, that was sort of the the drug that I kept, you know, that was the high that I kept reaching for again. Ego boost. And so I was willing to handle, yeah, it kind of got me, you know, it sort of got me hooked. It was the gateway. And uh, I did a lot of bombing after that, but you sort of, you start to develop calluses. You just get to the point, like, I, if I bombed at a big club now, that would definitely hurt. But it just it's unlikely to happen because once you get to the point where you have enough material that, you know, works, it's it's going to work everywhere. Like maybe one or two jokes will bomb, but your set's not going to bomb. But doing new stuff, you know, especially now what I'm doing is going to open mics and doing a bunch of new stuff. It bombs pretty regularly because you just don't know if something's going to work. And so, you know, if you have a three minute bit that you just wrote and you go to a, a open mic Maybe one or two jokes in their work, maybe three, and then the other ones just fall flat and you just get used to it. And I definitely you get to the point when you've had enough success where it doesn't phase you because, you know, well, if I was doing my good stuff, you guys would be laughing and or if this was a real show, I'd be doing well. So you I mean, it sounds egotistical or kind of rude, but you get to the point where you're like, ah, you people don't matter. You know, you're just you're a <laughs> test audience and you're not paying me anyway. So, you know, who cares? And so, That's yeah, you, true. you get, yeah. yeah it's it's very like you know what uh i i learned from my mistakes or i know that this doesn't work i'm going to improve upon it and then uh hopefully get a bigger laugh next time and uh one of the sets that i saw we we were talking about it before i hit record was uh back in 2016 and man you had some guy in that audience laughing his fucking ass off and you were like this guy needs his own mic for like a whole hour of just him like cackling i was like wow <laughs> you really enjoy comedy there bud uh, <laughs> holy shit uh how did you uh get to that tight five uh because like how long were you doing comedy until you got to that 2016 set so boy when did i start so i think it's been it's been about, wow. I mean, I hadn't been doing comedy that long. Those bits were old. So how long it took me to get a tight five was probably, it wasn't very long for five minutes. I think I, I, I was very lucky in that I started with this one bit that I had about my cat. And it, was, it wasn't <laughs> groundbreaking. It wasn't brilliant. But it always worked. It was just a bit that for some reason I could really sell it. And it always worked. And that was one of the first things I ever wrote. And so I always knew that I had like, it was like a two and a half minute, maybe three minute bit. And so I had this bit that I could go on stage and just know would work. And then I just had to write another, you know, two, two and a half minutes around that for, for a five. So I did a lot of like bombing for one or two minutes and then closing strong with my cat bit. 
for a long time, right? Like that was what I would do was just go up, do these five minutes. Catlets are strongest. My first joke yeah, yeah. would bomb. <laughs> yeah, my first joke would bomb. My second joke would bomb. And then I would do the cat bit and it would kill. And so, you know, they would bring me back and I just kept trying new bits in the beginning to figure something out. So it didn't take that long before I had a, a solid five. But between to, to get from five to like 15, which is really where you're going to be hosting shows, right? Like to, to yeah. get past at a comedy club and to start hosting for bigger comics, you need 15. And to get from the five to 15 took me probably like two years. I mean, it mm. was it was a painful process to where to where I would say I had a good 15. You know, I, I would definitely when I got past at my first comedy club, I could I could open for, and, and it would be it would be fine. I could get through it, but it was an up and down set. And to get to the point where I had a set that would kill for 15 minutes was at least two years, I think. I'm curious as to what this cat bit is that kind of started this whole journey to getting to that 15. God, I remember. I don't even I mean, I definitely I couldn't like do it now because I just don't. It was so <laughs> many years ago, but it was I. it's somewhere online and I didn't I tried to take it down. But someone kept sending it to me and they were like, ha your cat bit's still up. And I because I hadn't posted it. Someone had videotaped it and posted oh, it. So I actually messaged the person and said, like, hey, I appreciate that you put this up. Like that was many years ago. Could you just take this down, please? <laughs> and never got a response. So it's still up somewhere. Um, but it was just about how like my cat is basically like a girlfriend that doesn't like me. Like <laughs> just it's like living with a girlfriend that doesn't like me. And there was. I think there was something about like a sex tape that trying to make a, a sex video and the cat getting in the video. I don't even remember all of it, but it just yeah, it just killed every time. And I, I stopped doing it as soon as I had as soon as I had enough material to not have to do the cat bit anymore. I stopped doing it because mm -hmm. it wasn't you know, it definitely wasn't super original and it wasn't something I was really proud of. But it just you have those bits that you get locked into sometimes because they always work. Yeah, they're oldies but goodies. Mm -hmm. I, if, you, I, if I remember correctly, it was like the the joke was that you were trying to make a sex tape with your girlfriend and the cat always kept getting in the way. Uh, so it was like, ah, fuck this. And then the joke led into like a threesome or something. Uh, like you were yeah. planning a threesome. That, that sounds right. <laughs> it's been so long. It's funny how you just like there are bits that I really miss too. I used to do this one bit about self-driving cars and I don't even remember it. I tried to after COVID when I went and did a show at the um, the punchline, I was like, ah, I should do the, the self-driving car bit. And I can't I can't remember it. Like I have no idea. I, I know like a couple of the lines in it that I thought were really funny. And I just I would have to rebuild the whole bit. And so I just gave up on it. And I was like, oh, well, and I don't think I have it videotaped anyway. Ah, oh, damn. Well, hopefully someone out there has it stored somewhere because I'd love to hear it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. To, this is a good thing uh, to remind younger comedians is uh, record record a lot of your sets. Just so yeah. you have, you know, you can see your progress and then also you can remember bits later. Yeah. And hopefully that'll motivate you to have one day your own Netflix special. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but mostly I wanted to talk about like, you know, um, our our views on sex, love, dating. Because this is a sex ed podcast, so I'm wondering, as a comedian, do you have or did you have any chuckle fuckers when you're on stage? Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> it was the, the 
the time that I started doing comedy was kind of right before like Me Too and and real, uh, you know, and I'm not I'm not someone who complains about political correctness or anything, but it definitely was before, you know, it was more the era of like comics still being kind of rock starry without having to worry about your behavior as much. And so there was there was a lot of that going on. Um, I definitely partook. I was I, it, it coincided with the beginning of kind of I went through a period of pretty extreme sex addiction. Um, and so, yeah, there were not just, you know, like a girl after the show that happened pretty frequently. But then there were also like couples like I had, you know, I would get propositioned by a guy to go hook up with his wife in the parking lot. And I did that. Wow. In places. And yeah, I mean, it was pretty wild. It felt it felt like being kind of like being a musician, you know, which I, I was when I was younger. Me and the actually the co-host of my podcast, he was the singer in the band. I was the guitarist. And we were we had a good band and we did some touring and were reasonably successful, but we never, ironically, like we never had groupies. We never had the like rock and roll experience. So I think I was making up for lost time when I started doing comedy because I kind of felt like I was getting that experience. So yeah, I mean, I had a lot of nights where, you know, I'd come off stage and just be looking for who's gonna, who am I taking back to the hotel? <laughs> well, I think it's because like, and you know what? It only happens to male comedians uh i don't know why like not i haven't really heard a lot of like female comedians who have had chuckle fuckers after a show uh and i don't know there's just for me uh speaking as a gay man when i see a guy on stage that's funny i find it kind of like an aphrodisiac I'm like all right mm -hmm. this guy's funny he's very aware i'm gonna fuck him and i have uh, <laughs> 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 success uh so uh, i'm also wondering then like have you had any sort of like more memorable favorite experiences on the road it doesn't have to be sexual but you know this is a sex ed podcast <laughs> yeah um well i mean it, there were definitely there were a lot of experiences that sort of all blend together you know you end up with mm. this sort of blur of like, I, I was also drinking a lot at the time and I'm sober now. Um, I went through Congrats. sex addicts anonymous. I went through alcoholics anonymous. I definitely had to like turn my life around a little bit, but what is unfortunate in some ways about that period of time is there's a lot of it that not necessarily, I don't remember. I wasn't blacking out a lot, but it just, it all became sort of a, a blur of like alcohol and hooking up. Um, but I definitely had experiences like the one where um, actually at a pretty local comedy club to where I am. I live in Santa Cruz now and not too far away. There's a comedy club that I did a show at. And yeah, right after the show, uh, I was taking pictures with people because that's kind of one of the things that some of the clubs want you to do. And um, this couple like leaned in as they were taking the picture and the guy was like, hey, my wife thinks you're really hot. And I was like, OK, thanks. And and that, you know, it was a little it was a little weird thing to say, but um <laughs> Afterwards, he was like, you got to come to a bar with us. And I was like, well, I usually, you know, all the comics usually go to this bar down the street. And he's like, OK, we'll we'll meet you there. And they did. And then, yeah, he just proceeded to uh, make it very clear that I should stay you. with. The, he's like, yeah, he's like, you don't want to have to drive all the way home. You, you know, <laughs> it's a long way. You'd have to go over there. He's like, why don't you just crash with us? And I was like, you know, wow. I, don't, I don't know. 
And uh, yeah, and then he ended up having me. So I just started like making out with his wife in the bar, which was very weird. And he was he had friends there and they clearly all knew that, the, you know, it was a swinger couple. Clearly, no one was like batting an eye. They weren't worried about mm-hmm. it. They weren't even being affected. And then, yeah, so I went back um, to their place and he just watched. And, you know, it was a I had I had experience with that before because I had done there's a very I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be familiar with the idea of like, you know, bulls and cuckold kind of situation. Yep. Yep. And uh, so I had done that before as a, as a quote unquote bull um, for couples. So I wasn't it wasn't that weird to me, but it definitely was weird to have the association with the comedy, like the fact that they had seen me be funny. And that was what turned them on and that they were going to like come to more shows and become fans. <laughs> and, you know, he's watching me bang his wife. It was uh, it was interesting. I was pretty drunk, too. So that probably helped. <laughs> But it wasn't super awkward. And then afterwards, like we all just sat around drinking and talking. And uh, I think she and I and I ended up sleeping there and he slept in on the couch in the living room. And I slept in there and we had sex a couple more times. And I think one of the times he came in and watched that, too. uh, And we just kind of ignored him. But yeah, there was a lot of that. There was another night where I I hooked up with a heckler one night, which was interesting. Yeah, I got to hear this. So this woman was, it was at this show, this pretty popular show, but it was in this big restaurant slash bar and it was kind of a practice show, but it it would get a good crowd. And there was just this one woman who was so drunk in the beginning, or you know what? She wasn't even that drunk in the beginning. She was mostly just, I think one of those people who thought she was quote, helping the show. And she was just, she was just yelling and like saying, is trying to shouting out, you know, taglines, like things that she thought would be funny after a punchline. And she was just ruining the show. And I actually wasn't on stage yet when she started heckling. She was heckling the guy before me. And so I was, by the time I got on stage, I was really pissed off because she just was, I knew she was going to start and she had ruined his set. Yeah. It's the worst. And so when I got on stage, I was kind of primed for it. And as soon as she started in on me, I just kind of I just went after her. And it was maybe a little mean, but it it worked. It definitely shut her up. It got the crowd on my side for the most part. I think maybe I was a little meaner than I needed to be. Um, And when and she shut up and then the rest of my set went well. And then when I got off stage, she was really like I went over to her just to kind of say, hey, no hard feelings. And she was she was pretty offended. She was like, you're a dick. And, and I explained, I just had to explain to her, like, that's not how shows work. Like, I know you think you're helping, but you're not helping. You're making you this worse. Yeah. These people, and these people paid, right? Like, and you're ruining their yeah. night. And I was like, look, let me buy you a drink. We'll just hang out and, you know, very bad. We can talk yeah. about it. Also just to like distract her from fucking with the next comic. So mm. we went to the back to the bar. Smart. And ended up drinking. And the guy, the comedian who had gone before me, he just kept coming up to me and he was like so mad at her because she had totally ruined his set. Aww. And so when I, and this is like one of the douche broiest things I've ever done was then she and I ended up going back to my place and we hooked up. And then I remember I took a picture of her sleeping in my bed <laughs> and sent it to him and was like, with something rude, just like I, I banged the heckler or something. I don't know. Just something <laughs> fucking super frat boyish douchey and uh, felt bad about it the next day but she was very nice we ended up 
we didn't date, but we ended up hooking up a few more times and became semi friends. Um, but yeah, there that's you know, wild stuff happens. It's, it's, it's no, always it does. A good time. Hey, that's hot. Well, some of my hottest hookups have been from the worst people on the planet. Uh, <laughs> I, totally I, can, <laughs> I kid true. you not. I kid you not. I was hooking up with a guy who could. Okay, hold on. Let me try to rephrase this because I said it so many times. I, I still stumble on my words. We were fucking, and he kept Fox News on the entire time. Oh, uh, <laughs> Jesus! That yeah. would be a, an erection killer for me. <laughs> I mean, uh, at the time, I, I like you know, I don't care about having an erection because I was the one getting fucked. But like, mm. something about I don't know. I guess him hearing Tucker Carlson's point of view. Uh, got oh. him hard and he came i was like oh god why am i doing this and of course i had to keep going for more because it was great and i hated him <laughs> and he's an absolute dick but there's something about like the people you despise the most that make the sex kind of just like the best fucking thing ever that is that's a really common thing for sex addicts for someone like me who that was my thing for a long time was i didn't like emotional sex at all so it was really sex was always good with people that i didn't have any investment in and so i used to hook up with this girl who was um eventually now she's in a lesbian marriage and has two kids um but at the time she was she was dating a woman at the time but she had got we met through like craigslist and back in the day and she was just looking for some she was in a lesbian relationship but she just wanted to experience a, a penis every now and then and so <laughs> she would come over and we would have sex and i remember once and we had great sex and it would just be like twice a month maybe she would just come over and she liked it really rough and it was just she was liked it really degrading it was very interesting because she's super feminist she's you know now a, um in a, in a lesbian relationship <laughs> But she just wanted to be called names, and it was it was interesting. But she, uh, <laughs> I'm a feminist <laughs> until I need to get railed raw. That was Call it, me you know, a and then, dyke. But then afterwards, <laughs> she just didn't want to, you know. When we saw each other in public, we would barely acknowledge each other. You know, we were just mm. like kind of hey. And I remember one time she said she was like, you know what I think is great about this is like she's like I just love that I would never want to hang out with you as a friend. She's like I don't want that to be <laughs> insulting. She's like I don't want to insult you, but I just, I just think it's great that like we we have great chemistry in the bedroom and no chemistry otherwise and i was like yeah totally like neither of us, we just don't get along as humans but we have great sex <laughs> you don't necessarily need to have that emotional con connection to fuck really well uh no. i mean i was an escort for Sometimes four it's years a it's a hindrance <laughs> yeah truly uh i was an escort for four years and almost 99 percent of my clients i had no emotional connection with and i had to like fake an emotional connection really uh although there was one client who got a little too close to me and he we ran into the grocery store one time and uh i'm like on one end of the aisle he's on the other end and he just happens to be with his wife and kids and i'm like oh fuck i, I can't just like turn around and like you know look scared i have to act normal and be chill so we're like crossing the line crossing crossing the aisle and then just as we're right beside each other, we're making our way towards the opposite ends of the aisle. He does this interlocking thing with my pinky. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> your wife and kids are literally right there. I 
shit. Scandalous. So, yeah, right? So, uh, yeah, sometimes emotions can really fuck up a whole sex thing. And I told him the next session, I was like, you can't do that. I, I, it's mm. just mm, weird. And also because, like, I respect our working relationship a little too much for you to get into my personal life. I'm like, mm-mm. I can't yeah that's so funny you're like the hr department you're like like we have to keep it uh, on the level which means uh, just nude and inappropriate only yeah. nude and inappropriate do not try to make our relationship anything yeah. other than nude and inappropriate exactly and with in the bedroom you're allowed to call me a racial slur not outside uh, <laughs> not outside <laughs> not as, exactly because like when you're a sex worker you're doing everything your own marketing your own hr your own uh oh, yeah. business yeah you're doing all that so it's really like refreshing to hear someone who's not a sex worker experience that kind of uh, emotional disconnect uh and yeah i understand that emotional disconnect can be hot but you know we grow I find that sex for me now has to have at least some level of emotional connection. doesn't have to be like, oh my God, we're going to get married one day. <laughs> like, I, I should know that you're not going to an asylum after this. And like, you're not right. going to murder me, right? At the very least, at yeah. <laughs> this most basic level. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Yes. Hey, you sick motherfuckers! I've got a special treat for you. Need a new toy to spice up your sex life? Head over to loveshop.ca slash sexedmonton and get yourself a cock ring, a dildo, a vibrator, or even a life-sized sex doll. <laughs> Damn, I guess love really does come in all shapes and sizes. Get 15% off your entire order when you use code sexedwithtim at checkout. They're shipping to all of Canada and the United States because North America is horny. That's loveshop.ca slash sexedwithtim and use code sexedwithtim for 15% off your entire purchase. Happy orgasm! Do you like feeling sexy and looking sexy? Of course you do. Only my listeners are sexy as fuck. I have partnered with fetishwear designer Dale Kuda to bring you the hottest deals on custom jock straps, harnesses, hats, and more. Head over to dalekuda.com, that's D-A-L-E-K-U-D-A.com, and use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout for 25% off the entire store. Yeah, you heard me. 25% off. And cherry on top. Free shipping, oh my god. I have a few of the stuff that he has made for me. And girl, I'm wearing it right now. I'm wearing like a little jock strap so that I could easily just like slip a little butt plug or dildo every now and then here and there. And I'm on the train. I'm just like, uh, 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 thank you, Dale. <laughs> That's dalecuda.com with the code SEXEDWITHTIM for 25% off your entire purchase with free shipping. With a deal like that, I swear I could come buckets, honey. <laughs> the show is about to begin. Yes. What are like some of the earliest memories of sex education that you've ever had? Like, oh, did emotional con- was emotional connection an, an important part of sex or maybe not? My parents were super hippies and 
Oh, cool. So they were very into, I mean, we grew up when I was from one to like five, we lived in Oregon on this sort of commune type situation. And so there was a lot of nudity. I was, they were very open about, I was certainly wasn't involved in any sex or exposed to any direct sex, but they, they weren't shy about bodies. And, you know, th- there was a lot that I, that I witnessed just as far as anatomy. Um, and then grew up the rest of my youth in San Francisco. And again, you know, my parents were just very into, they were very much uh, advocates for emotion before sex, emotion having to be part of sex, mm. not, you know, uh, not objectifying. So I got a lot of, I got the, very much the feminist sort of um, outlook on sex when I was younger. And then I think that, I'm glad that that was a foundation for me, but it definitely just sort of was subsumed by like porn culture as I got into my teens. And uh, we had like at the time, I mean, you know, either DVDs or like even VHS tapes when I was really young. <laughs> VHS. That my friends had. Yeah, oh, that we would watch. Good times. And so, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of porn I had. And, you know, your friends become your sex education. They definitely take over from your parents. And <laughs> my friends at the time, especially in San Francisco, were just very uh, sexually precocious. And so, um, and I think that one part of it was that I I ran with this crowd when I was in, in high school that was very popular, but I really wasn't. Like I was in there because I had a, I'd grown up with this guy, Jake, and he looked like straight up like Brad Pitt. Like he, they called, they used to call him mini Brad Pitt. And <laughs> he, so he was like super popular in high school and he was my best friend. We'd been best friends forever, but I didn't look like him. And I, you know, I was not the popular kid, but I was around these popular guys and they were just having sex all the time. Jake used to like take girls to my house when my Literally mom was all there the time, 24 seven. <laughs> he was just in the kitchen, in the bathroom, in the garage. <laughs> yeah. And so I had this, you know, sex was around me, but I wasn't participating. And I, I think I felt that really that contributed to some self-esteem issues. And so once I got to college and sort of there was a little bit of an ugly duckling thing where I sort of, you know, came into my own. I think I felt sorry. um, Sorry to interrupt you. I find that hard to believe because you're hot. I mean, oh, thank you. I'd fuck you. Well, but then again, I'd fuck. I mean, I, I wasn't. And I'm also I mean, I'm you know, I'm not like super big. I'm like five eight i mean i'm i'm not a big like buff studly guy i'm i'm like a you know not I'm my a type. pretty average dude <laughs> and uh and uh so you know for me but i did i did i do think i'm not unappealing and and once i got to college you know i was just able to sort of figure out how dating worked and how to make the 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 things that the whatever advantages i did have i really figured out how to make them work and so that's when I think because I had internalized a lot of insecurities, I really sort of went the opposite direction and I overcorrected and I was like, I need to fuck everything. And so (laughs) I just became, I really turned into like, I really turned into a douchebag. I was definitely, (laughs) mm -hmm. I mean, I was definitely the guy for a long time who like kept, kept a, you know, score of how many girls I'd fucked. And it just, it was it was Damn. bad uh, for a long time, <laughs> and I mean I'm in the you know I'm in the triple digits for sure. So oh, it's, uh, it, sorry Shane, I'm 
uh, more. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. There are a lot of people I can't compete with, but uh, but for a for a the straight guy growing up in my era, I was I was doing I was doing pretty well. <laughs> Do you remember the first time that you had it, and what was it like for you? Yeah, my first oh boy, the first time I had sex was actually pretty awkward. Um, there's As this it girl. It was in high school. What's that? As it always is, it's always awkward the first it, time. No, as it probably should pro. be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And instruction manual. Yeah. If you're if your first time is like really not awkward, you're probably with like an adult or something. And, and it's, it's too, Hopefully you're an adult yeah. as your first time, but like, Jesus, born right. a porn star. I, my, Good because my second or third time was with like an older woman and that actually was way less awkward, but it also was like illegal. So, it's, <laughs> right, but, but, um, cause I was, yeah, I think I was 16 or 17 when I first had sex and that was with a girl from high school and it just was super awkward she started crying partway through it and I freaked out because I thought I was <laughs> no. doing something wrong and like that she and I stopped and she was like, no, just keep going. And I was like, you're crying. I can't do this. And she was like, no, no, no. Oh I always God. cry during sex. And I was like, well, that's not that's probably not good. That's mm. and so we stopped. <laughs> so I didn't even finish for my first time. And so, yeah, it was it was terrible. She ended up, by the way, she ended up overdosing. I found out five years <gasps> later on heroin and died. Um, so the woman that I lost my virginity to is tragically passed. Um, oh no, that was pretty, hey. that was pretty shocking. Oh my God. She couldn't find a dick better than yours. I guess it was just all <laughs> downhill from there. Oh, uh, <laughs> what you know, that's interesting. The guy I lost my virginity to also passed, uh, but from cancer. Uh, oh, okay. so yeah, I mean, uh, at least mine had uh, a good reason. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> That's well, so... <laughs> well, my second, though, but it was interesting because that was like my first time and it was just terrible. And then my second time was like a porn movie. It was like everything. I wish nice. I had waited because right after I graduated from high school, there was this girl that in, in high school we had all had a crush on her. I'll leave her name out, but she was this like, uh, she was half Latina. She was um, very like, just had a lot of personality and was like super hot and um, she ended up working uh, like down the street from my house at this ophthalmologist, uh, like place. And she, one day it was the summertime. It was right after I'd graduated from high school. I was going to do this AmeriCorps program. So I was waiting to go to college. I was going to take some time off. She showed up at my door and like knocked on my door. And I was like, mm. Oh, Hey, like, I remember you from high school. And she was like, yeah, I, I always see you go into your house. I'd work down the street. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, could I come in? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> and we, she came in and she was like, you know, I always thought you were hot. And I was like, okay. And we ended up like making out. She went back to work and then we just became like fuck buddies for, she taught me so much stuff. Uh, and yeah, it was like, it was like something that you, I wouldn't believe if I read it in a penthouse magazine that the girl just knocked on my door and came in. Yeah, that's literally out of like a '90s porno. Uh, yeah. Instead of a pizza guy, it's an ophthalmologist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> damn. I wonder if you used your best ophthalmologist pickup line. Like, if I put you <laughs> and I together, at, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> oh my god! What was your most favorite uh, discovery about sex? You were like, "Oh my god, this is fucking cool." What got you to that moment? Oh, I mean, I think that some of the discoveries that were the coolest were probably not great for me in the long run. Like mm. I 
one one thing that happened to me that was really formative was um, after that girl, I dated another girl for a long time who I became very, very invested in. Uh, we were both way too young to be as serious as we were. She had my name tattooed on her shoulder. Holy it was like shit. Hardcore. Nope. Yeah. No. Yep. Mm-mm. Not great. And mm. uh, she, and we ended up having a really dramatic relationship. We were engaged and she ended up cheating on me with this guy. And Aww. it kind of it totally broke my heart. And it, it was one of the things that sort of kicked off my period of being a, a really not nice guy in relationships. Because I, I definitely resented women for a long time after that. And um, when we we tried getting back together briefly and when I, I was still really angry, you know, I just had a lot of anger uh, about what had happened. And she when we were having sex, I had always been really gentle with her because I was just, you know, it was that very tender, like loving sex. And she I remember was like, I know you're mad at me just you can let it out and I was like well I don't know what that means and she was like you know whatever you need like slap me choke me do 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 whatever you need to do and I was like well I don't know that that's a great idea she was like pull my hair do you know do something let it out and so I did I just like pulled her hair and like choked her a little bit and I got it was really cathartic I think and it I got really into it and that that sort of opened up a world of kind of you know power dynamics and BDSM Mm. stuff and um, I became really dominant sexually and it just became a thing that probably in the long run wasn't great for my mental health or at least like just my evolution as a human Um, (laughs) but it's something that that definitely shaped my my sexual history um, mm-hmm. since since then, between now and then. Um, why so why is it not great? I mean, I think um, it's part of your self-discovery. Yeah, I think I have a lot of trouble. You know, I've been through like Sex Addicts Anonymous and everything, and I have, I, I definitely, we talked about the difficulty of separating emotion from sex and that emotionless sex can be really good. I have the opposite problem now in some ways in that I, sex with emotion for many years and even to this day, although it's getting better, was a turnoff for me. So I had real trouble with like I could get into a, a as long as there was a girl that I w- only had sex with or our relationship was primarily sexual and I didn't have feelings for her. I could have sex with her 10 times a day and, you know, just I was into it. And then as soon as I would start to like her as a human, I, I would have no sexual interest in her and I would cheat. And I would find a girl that I didn't care about to fuck. And so it was really, you know, that's not a healthy way to live, right? (laughs) Like you don't want to only fuck people that you don't care about and not have any interest in people that you care about. So it was, uh, I I think, and the foundation of it was really there. I became, sex became very much tied to like dominance and anger and, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't healthy for me personally I, there are definitely people who can be in the bdsm scene and and be very i think can be emotionally healing. stable yeah but yeah you know if you're conflating sex with something that you shouldn't relate it with like your sense of self-worth or trauma or something then maybe take a break from sex you know because uh, yeah. like i i have a very specific view when it comes to the term sex addiction uh so but but like you know that's another episode uh but i do understand exactly what it is that you're referring to when it's like 
your emotional mess kind of gets in with the literal sexual mess and yeah uh i i I totally get it because like on my grinder profile i am mainly looking for casual sex and I, i mentioned that but i also say just because i'm looking for casual sex doesn't mean that we should be treating each other casually like you know be a fucking human being be be goddamn decent uh because i don't know what your experience is with talking to gay guys but we are some of the most douchiest the most (laughs) asshole i'm homophobic uh and i'm gonna come out right now uh i i don't think gay marriage should exist no i'm kidding um (laughs) but yeah we we are really catty and we're jerks uh, so where was i going with this uh oh yeah uh yeah like it's so easy to be well not easy i mean just be be a decent human being you don't have to be such jerkwads about this whole like sex thing but, yeah and uh, i think for the most part i wasn't too much like outside the bedroom i was pretty normal like i could maintain good relationships with women as far as just you know i, I worked with a lot of women at various jobs i'd had and it was very comfortable for me um, to be around women in, in a platonic atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even with women that I was having sex with, once we were outside of the bedroom, it was totally normal. And like I was very, I was kind of a gentleman, I think. But uh, <laughs> when it came to sex, the only way that I could be aroused was there had to be some element of power dynamic. It had to be somewhat objectifying. Um, and it they're just that was very limiting in some ways. Like it, it mm. made me not want to get into relationships because if I start, you know, if I was really into a girl and we were having great sex, I was like, I cannot get emotionally invested because I'll just completely check out. And yeah, I mean this, this, the, for me, the um, addictive component was very compulsive too. So I was, that was part of it was I just wasn't able to maintain healthy monogamous relationships although you know i I don't think that's necessary for everyone but for me i couldn't do it um and it was it's not a part of who you are that's that's one of the things about sex addiction that it's not in line with who you are as a person right Right? that's exactly that's a great way to put it because i think for a lot of people that's how they want to live and that's fine you know there i have friends who are non-monogamous and in open relationships and they're totally healthy but for me it wasn't it wasn't consistent with especially the values that I'd been raised with. And, you know, I was and I so there was always this divide and this tension between who I wanted to be and the person that I was. And that was that kind of came to a head. And it actually kind of sort of came to a head with my with my wife, who at the time when I started dating, we were both in an open relationship. We met at a comedy club. She was really into like, you know, we would have foursomes with other couples we would swap we would do all kinds of stuff and there was a period of time where I just sort of had a without the religious aspect I had like a come to Jesus moment I'm still an atheist but there was just a moment where I realized like this is not working for me I'm not I'm not okay with the way our our life is going I want to have more of a connection with her that's more emotional and more profound and we just talked about it we went to therapy I did a lot of soul searching and you know, we decided to be monogamous and it's been, it's been a a journey, um, since then. What are some of the things that you personally unlearned about sex and like sex shouldn't have to be this or that? I think I just, I don't know that I unlearned much. I think that I 
figured out that I needed to that I needed to be a better I needed to be more careful about what I consumed. Certainly like porn was a big problem for me, right? Like I think the more that you consume the kind of porn that is unhealthy for you, whatever that is, um, the more you, you, it's kind of toxic. You're going to, you're, you're not going to be able to sort of get out of that. For me, it was, it was very limiting. It was almost like a, a little prison in my mind. And I needed to, I needed to stop looking at degrading or violent porn or anything that was, that wasn't, I, I needed wasn't conducive to, kind of, to who you are as a person. Yeah, and I just needed to take a break from porn for a while anyway. Um, and I think that's a good idea for Skin anyone. Skin from your hand is peeling off from jacking off porn, too much. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. calloused. <laughs> I mean, it was... and Yeah, and I got to the point where, like, things were... And, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you've experienced this where, like, you know, I just got to the point where I, what, I noticed that I wasn't being careful with... I was being self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And not really realizing it. I mean, I was having, yeah, you know, I was doing things that... Pointing to myself. <laughs> I, w- I was trying to see how many people I could fuck in one day. And like, you yep. know, I wasn't using protection regularly. And I was not... What's protection? Yep. And <laughs> that's that was Condom? my philosophy at the time. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of my philosophy. I mean, I, I had a like fetish for, you know, bareback. I mean, it was... I was very... Uh, I was very unhealthy at the time and I'm very, I'm incredibly lucky that I got through all that with, you know, without contracting anything serious and without hurting anyone Good for you. too bad. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, a, it, looking back, I just can't believe that I was that person. I remember going to, um, some med, you know, I was, I was the doctor for something unrelated to anything sexual and they were asking me, Oh no, I think I went I went one time to get an AIDS test and, you know, they ask you all the questions and like just having to answer yes to like so many of those questions. Just like how many (laughs) have you had multiple partners? Are you not using protection? Are you being and I was just like, um, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I've been getting myself into (laughs) who have I been getting myself into? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, especially with the Internet, you know, once like because comedy for the most part, it was. I, I feel like it wasn't as dangerous in some ways um, as the hookups that I was just doing really randomly online. But, you know, comedy was more sort of hit and miss. And a lot of people were more careful with protection and but not so much with with just hooking up on Craigslist or hooking up on, you know, even OkCupid or something. Like just mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. find girls and hook up and never talk. Because it's providing an avenue for you to make it so accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, how did you then like get to this moment of turning your life around that was like, you know what? This isn't good for me anymore. Uh, I, I've got a girlfriend. I want to be serious with her. Let's get our shit together, Shane. So where was that light bulb moment? I mean, it was very much a light bulb moment. It was, it was like a mental breakdown. Basically. Um, I had kind of a nervous breakdown and, I, I, you know, I was laying next to my then girlfriend, current wife, and she had moved from Georgia. When we had met, she was here taking care of her sister who lived nearby. And she went, we, she met at the comedy club. She went back to Georgia and we kept in touch and she would come and visit and we would go to like, you know, sex parties or like have people over and like swap and hook up. And it was just this sex thing. And I was so into that aspect 
And she actually moved here to be sort of like, like we lived as a dominant submissive couple. So she was like moved into my house as sort of my, you know, plaything in some ways. And I really cared about her. But again, I was scared to be emotional because I didn't want to completely lose interest in her. Mm-hmm. And I I was laying next to her one day and, you know, we had had sex with another couple or something the night before. And I just, I remember lying there and thinking, what have I done? Now I've, I've made, I've had someone move all the way across the country to live for, to live a life for me. Like she's not living her life now. She's just doing the things I want her to do. I'm like controlling another person and this is not healthy. It's not okay. And I had like a panic attack and I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, so I went to the doctor. I was like, I need to go to the hospital. I don't know what's happening. And racing. They were like sweaty. Knees, weak arms, heavy. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. It was full on eight mile there. And, uh, (laughs) I went to, and so they, you know, they explained what was happening. They're like, you're having a panic attack and this is a nervous disorder. And, um, and I had to deal with that for a while. She had to kind of help me through that because I was having some pretty major anxiety stuff. And, it all came from just a crisis of almost a crisis of conscience. You know, it mm. was a, a feeling that like, I, I can't live this way anymore. And also I was a major alcoholic at the time and just didn't realize it. Mm. And so I just, I, I realized I need to get help. I need to, um, I need to change my life. And it was, it was interesting because it was almost a little bit hard for her because that wasn't what she had signed up for. You know, she, she also, there were parts of her that really enjoyed the aspect of the, of the dynamic that we had. And so for me to say like, Hey, it's almost like if you're with someone, right. If you were dating someone and then he all of a sudden was like, I'm, I've, I'm a born again Christian. And now we can't, you know, do the things that we always do. You'd be like, well, that's not what I signed up for. You know, this is a totally different you. And so it took a while for her to decide whether she it made sense for her to to try to you know stay with Being me in it for the for long that. run yeah mhm and i think in you know in the long run we're both really happy that that happened she had her own little sort of come to jesus non non religious moment uh she was also an alcoholic too still is an alcoholic she she does aa and you know she's got a good handle on it but we're both we're both recovering addicts and we always will be mm-hmm. even though that was 10 years ago um, eight right. years ago, I guess, you know, wow. we're, we're still, we still consider ourselves to be recovering addicts. The more you talk about your experiences, the more I think we're cut from the same cloth, Shane, because I, uh, not, not so much an alcoholic, but I was alcohol dependent. Uh, and w- what I mean by that is that I, I wasn't like so much addicted to it, but rather I was dependent on it to be a social person. Like, yeah. I don't think I could ever make it out in public if I didn't have at least one shot, you know? Yeah. Uh, damn. Who knew I and had this so, much in common with a straight white guy? <laughs> that's that's really scary, too, because that's dangerous in the comedy scene. So if you keep doing yeah. comedy, like, it, it, people become reliant on it. I, the one thing that I never did was actually I would never drink before a set. N- mm. Never. I wouldn't do it because I saw so many people relying on alcohol you know, you start out by saying, you know, you know, yeah, I just need two yeah. shots before every set because that loosens me up and it makes me. And then it's three shots before a set. And then it's I'm going to have a few beers and a couple shots and go on Slippery stage. Slope. 
Yeah. And then it also becomes Dumbo's magic feather, right? Where you think you need it to be funny and people are start keep drinking so that they can continue to perform because they think if I don't drink, I can't go on stage. Mm-hmm. And I have friends who just, wow, they just took them down and they were really funny comics. And, uh, you know, now they're pretty, pretty broken people and it's, it's unfortunate to see. So yeah, be careful with the alcohol, with comedy people yeah. out there and anyone who's doing it. Um, that was the one thing I didn't do. I would, but I would drink after shows and that, that was my problem. I mean, a little substance use here and there is fine, but like, you know, when, when you start to get so dependent on it, that it gets in the way of your daily functions, maybe seek some help, babes. Uh, (laughs) Everything in moderation. Exactly. And I, I'm trying to say this with as little amount of irony as possible, because I do have sometimes a sarcastic tone but i'm genuinely glad that to see you shane like uh, on this journey of like recovery and it's really nice it's really nice to see you know people who are on this road of self-improvement who who are also like really self-aware uh also it's kind of turned me on but (laughs) (laughs) well thank you i mean it is you know it it feels good to be on a journey of self-improvement it definitely you know i've seen the progress and there there are always going to be struggles there's always temptations it's always something that like i said I'll, i'll always be an addict whether it's alcohol or sex um or whatever drugs you're doing or anything i I don't think you ever become a non-addict you just learn how to how to live without it and so it, it's an ongoing process. I don't think it'll ever be over. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with any sort of like mental health type of situation, it's always going to be oh, a very long road ahead. Um, and what's that thing that they always say at the end? It's like, grant me the serenity to yada, yada. I, I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. But, you know, be strong enough to figure out what you can and can't control. I guess that was the exactly. the end of every session. But hey, uh, where to whoever's listening to this, wherever you are on your journey of sex or substance use or whatever it is that we've talked about, uh, I guess just fucking laugh at it. <laughs> Don't take life too seriously. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, or listen to this episode again and just have yourself another laugh. <laughs> um, but Shane, before we wrap, are you okay to play a small little game with me? It's a new segment I'm introducing this season. Sure. Yeah, so this segment is called Naughty or Nice, and without mm. any context, I want you to choose Naughty or Nice. Uh, let's go with uh, Naughty. Naughty? Okay, so this segment of the game is called Red Flags, and what it is is that I, I have to change the context of the game every with every guest, and knowing that you're married now... Uh, slight change in rules, but anyways, uh, you're, you and I are friends and you're setting me up on a date and I'm a little hesitant to go on this date because they've got a red flag. I'm going to give you three qualities. You're going to try to convince me why I should go on this date. Despite the red flag. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So the first date is that he's got the same favorite music as me. Hmm. Uh, he can get me into any five-star restaurant that I want. But he collects human skulls, and he says, they're practically free. (laughs) (laughs) So as long as, you know what, that is honestly just uh, a unique hobby, right? (laughs) I mean, how many other people are, you don't want to be with someone who's boring. Come on, man. (laughs) So 
someone who collects human skulls as long as i guess the question is how are they collecting them if they're collecting them from <laughs> you know the morgue the, yeah if they're collecting them from a, a fresh donor uh that's not great <laughs> But uh, you know, maybe they're getting them from uh, from the the the, uh, the um, I don't know where would a you graveyard? get a, a skull? Maybe they're getting them from a museum or something, and, and that's their <laughs> thing. Maybe it's skulls that are some of the skulls are prehistoric. You know, maybe they have a Piltdown Man skull or something. You know, that <laughs> one was was actually fake, but maybe they have Lucy. Um, it could be for <laughs> scientific purposes. You never know. So don't 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 write someone off just because they have an interesting and unique hobby. That's something that we should celebrate. I like how you describe this totally insane uh, collection as a unique hobby. Human skulls. So my mom used to uh, she, she got really into the art of taxidermy for a while. OK, So she wasn't. And Animals, she would. She, I hope. So she had all these magazines <laughs> of like it would have pages and pages of eyeballs that you could purchase they look like marbles but they're like different types of eyeballs so there would be like owl eyeballs and cat eyeballs and deer eyeballs and you she would be looking through these and she would have them on you know the kitchen table and i would come to the house and this is when i was in college she got into this and i would go to her house and there would just be these magazines full of animal parts that you could purchase online and it was terrifying. But, you know, my mom's a sweetheart. She just she, this is just something she thought was really interesting <laughs> that people would. And she had a she had a dog at the time that she wanted to. Oh she God. thought she would eventually when the dog passed, she would help, you know, figure Get out how eyes. to do taxes. Yeah, oh. this was going to be her first taxidermy experiment. And so <laughs> it's and terrifying. Was it successful? <laughs> she didn't end up doing it. I talked her out. of uh. it. So, yeah, we did not end up uh, stuffing Sam the dog. But. Um, that was her plan. She wanted to. And so you never know. It might just be it might just be a unique and and, uh, you know, strange and uh, and delightful hobby. Oh, God. Makes well, them, it makes them <laughs> special. Well, <laughs> special. Uh, Sam, the dog, I hope wherever you are in dog heaven, you've kept both your eyes and your balls. Uh, <laughs> Sam so, was short for Samantha. So she. Oh, she never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I hope you kept both your over. I don't know how dogs work. Um, <laughs> I study sex and humans, not animals. Uh, yeah. So this next date is uh, he owns a 500 foot yacht. Ooh. Uh, ooh, yeah, that's hot. Famous movie star. Um, okay. I don't know which famous. Well, let's call him Chris Evans. Totally random ooh. name that I came up with on my own. Uh, but open mouth kisses their pets. Oh, that's not that bad. I don't. It depends on <laughs> no! what the pet. That, yeah, I don't know. I guess that depends on what the pet is. I, well, Chris Evans I, has a dog. Chris Evans has a dog, so he's open mouth kissing his dog. Is it all like also the size of the dog? A little Chihuahua. Their tongue's very small. It's not going to do. There's <laughs> not going to. There's not going to be a big fluid transfer there, right? It's going to be a small amount of 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 actual <laughs> swapping of DNA. So okay, it's a great day. Yeah, that's that's bad. That's hard. That's, hard. That's harder to justify. Don't be, don't be French kissing a great day. No. Um, I yeah, did you ever watch? I watched this show. This the Circle is like a yeah. Netflix reality show. It's a social. Remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that they had the woman on there who was drinking wine, and they were doing an interview with her at her house, 
and she casually just put her wine down so her dog could lap out of it and then drink some more. Did you Jesus. see that episode? Oh my it was, God. It went no. viral. It was amazing. And it was so shocking. And she was so like, and she was really pretty. And yet she was so like casual and blase about just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I swap spit with my dog on a regular basis. Oh my God. Mm. And uh, I don't know. I don't know that I can talk you into that one because that's a, that was a little <laughs> bit of a deal breaker for me when I saw that. I did have I, I had a cat um, and I used to let the cat lick my nostrils. So she had she would run up to me, kind of bump my head and then she would like start licking my nose. And it was just a thing that I thought was funny. And my wife would always just cringe and be like, well, stop, stop that. And I was like, she likes it. <laughs> and so I guess we all have weird things with our pets. But yeah, just for, you know, just don't, especially a big dog. Don't don't let him <laughs> in your mouth. Well, uh, you heard it here, Chris Evans. Shane won't let me go on a date with you. Sorry yeah, that you're making deal breaker, that with you. Even for, even for Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> that may be America's ass, but it seems like you're you just can, a huge ass at this point. Oh, yeah, God. You can keep America's tongue. <laughs> uh, so the second half is uh, nice. So th- these ones are a little more wholesome. I got two questions here for you, Shane. Uh when was the last time you tried something completely new and what was the result? So it doesn't have to be a sexual thing, but you know, this is from a card deck of like sex questions. Let's try something completely new. God, here's the problem with marriage and also like COVID too. <laughs> I yeah. I was my wife said the other day, it was so funny, we were sitting on the couch. This is something I wrote this down because I was gonna somehow make it into a comedy bit but we were sitting there and watching netflix on the couch and she kind of jolted upright and she was like i just had the weirdest sense of deja vu and i was like really so you're saying you feel like we've done this before because this is all we do like literally we haven't done a new thing in three years so (laughs) (laughs) to me that is the problem with marriage and and with covid is like you get into these routines where your life is just exactly the same all the time. So, I, yeah, I don't know. The last time I did something new would have been three years ago before the pandemic. Um, what did I do? I Honestly, I can't even. I've definitely tried new foods maybe in the last year. That's cool. Um, but I can't. I'm trying to think of one. <laughs> um, I don't know. God, I wish I had I wish I had something new in the last, you know, five years that I've done. <laughs> You've been but, uh, in a time loop now. this entire <laughs> this that's entire pandemic. Like. It, it, that's what it feels like. It just feels like Groundhog you know, Day. Ground, Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know what? Maybe that's the new thing. You're this is your first time in a time loop. And yeah. <laughs> This is, we, I mean, we, redo. <laughs> we all tried something. I would say wearing a mask, you know, on a public transportation or wearing a mask in a grocery store. That was all brand new for me. There you go. <laughs> and at least, hey, you're doing your part. So that's great. That's wholesome of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question I have here is where is a place you would like to have sex but haven't yet? I was never into like different locations. Someone asked me that recently where I'd had sex that was unique. And I, I did have sex, like I had sex on an overpass once and, you know, but it was mostly like, it was mostly convenience. It wasn't like, Hey, let's go do something (laughs) wild. It was like, we, we can't go back to either of our houses. And so here we are. Um, but somewhere that I'd like to have sex, 
Uh, see, again, I'm kind of boring. I don't think that the the, lo- oh, the venue really matters. Shaw, stop. <laughs> it just well, that was the thing. Like the sex itself mattered, but the venue, I don't, I don't just don't care about. Um, the Staples Center. I kind of would do it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't really. I don't have like a you know fetish for um being watched. I'm not an exhibitionist. It doesn't have to be like you know uh, being seen. Just like you know what would be interesting is like sex in sp- okay uh, sex in space i always wondered what like zero g zero g sex would be like so i think that would be it i know that you can also get on there's a plane that they use to simulate zero g so Mm -hmm. uh for movies they go up and it's a parabola right so it goes all the way up as high as it can go and then it drops and you 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 experience weightlessness so maybe someday i'll be able to to live out my fantasy that way i've had sex on a plane uh really uncomfortable really inconvenient uh, yeah, but, yeah. You I, joined the Mile High Club. Did you guys? Did you do it in the in lavatory? The restroom yeah, yeah, there. Uh, because what happened is that I was scrolling Grinder at the airport, and then I saw one profile, and he was like dressed up in his flight attendant suit. And I'm like, oh, that's the same guy <laughs> that's going on my plane. Hit him up. I kind of wow. did like a back and forth kind of thing with him. We went into the lavatory, and yeah, it was. We, we were really lucky because it was like pretty much an empty flight. Uh, okay. Also, there wasn't much time because I was just flying from New York to Toronto. So it was like mm. an hour flight. Short. So we didn't really have much time. Uh, we made the most out of it. We got what we needed. It was really uncomfortable. Those because that, such small little lavatories. Yeah. I mean, it's, it must have been very geometrically challenging. Yeah. Um, the it, it was like playing Tetris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the the T piece did not fit into the L piece. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> I hope whoever's listening can imagine the T and the L pieces, <laughs> so you can figure out how that works. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it for this segment. Uh, but before we close, Shane, do you have anything to share? Can you please make like a butt and plug away anything that you want the audience to find? Uh, sure. So just uh, Midnight Facts for Insomniacs is a really fun podcast um, and there's a great community around it. So you can actually kind of be involved, uh, go into our discord and vote for topics and uh, check it out on any uh, of the places that you get fine podcasts, anywhere fine podcasts are sold, as my co-host likes to say. <laughs> and uh, other than that, I'm I'm still working on some new stuff, but I am starting to book some shows. I'll be mostly starting in the Bay Area. So uh, mostly at Punchline um, and some great little lower, smaller venue comedy clubs that are super awesome in San Francisco, like The Setup and Cheaper Than Therapy. Um, so I'm going to be going around doing a bunch of smaller shows and then uh, and then finally starting to get out on the road again soon. And you can Perfect. find all that at shanerogers.net is where I'll put up my shows as I start uh, booking more. That is amazing. Hopefully I can make it to a show uh, and to all the listeners that have made it this far into this chaotic ass conversation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe because you are promoting not just queer content, but just real bullshit advice uh, <laughs> from someone who isn't really that qualified to give out advice because don't do what I do. Uh, <laughs> as I say this with literal anal fissures right now. Um, but you 
all know about my fishers i tweet about it all the time anyways <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode and i'll see you at the next one bye thanks for listening to the sex ed with tim podcast sex ed with tim is created and produced by me tim lagman music is aces high by kevin mcleod follow me on twitter and instagram at gay clown and at sex ed with tim you can also like and follow me on the sex ed with tim facebook page if you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for all your support, you dirty little slut. Mwah.